Lord, tonight we thank you. We lift our hands up to heaven. We give you praise. We give you honor. We thank you for this evening. We thank you for people being blessed and leaving here different than they came in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, turn the lights on. Everybody wake up. Put you to sleep. <laughs> if you would turn in your Bibles to the very beginning, first book, first chapter, go to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. Let's look at verse 27. Let's lay a little foundation. We're going to talk a little bit about relationships. Remember, we talked about uh, how that we're, we're called to be with people, to have relationships. And so God begins the world by declaring that this is going to be the foundational relationship of them all. Genesis 1, 27, think about it. God creates the world, day one, two, three. He creates different things. He gets everything ready before He mentions anything about people. And now we've come to the place where He tells us about people. It says, so God created man in His own image. Isn't that amazing? We're created in the image of God. Does that mean we look like God, Brother Ken? Um, I don't know, maybe. We know God, we, we read in the Bible about the hand of the Lord. The arm of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, so maybe. But I think more than that, we're created to operate like God. We're created in the image of God. Because that's the way God operates. He operates by vision and by imaging something. And then He brings it to pass, to pass with His power, right? So we're created, uh, puppy dogs aren't created like this. Cows and elephants and giraffes, no. But human beings are created on the highest level to operate like God, in the image of God. It goes on to say, in the image of God, He created Him. Male and female, He created them. So mankind in general is males and females. And God created a man and a woman to come together in marriage. And that's the way God created it to be. And that's God's idea. And that's the only thing that works. And we're not being discriminating or anything or being mean and ugly or hateful. We love everybody, right? How I many know oh, we love everybody in the world? We love really nice people and good people. We love uh, sinners and we love people we don't agree with. We're supposed to love everybody. We're supposed to love the world, right? Are you excited about that? <laughs> but God has a way of doing business. And when we do business God's way, then it will produce good results in our life. And so the enemy wants to always wants to take things different directions. And we think about the enemy's operation. There's nothing he attacks in the earth right now more than family. Think about the two of the biggest issues we have. It's been this way for many, many years. Same-sex marriage is a big issue politically, right? And it will continue to be so. And also abortion. What is that? The killing of, of babies. The, both of those are an attack, direct attack against the family. The devil hates the family. So we have to go back to the beginning to see what God says about it. And this is God's way. He's created us male and female. And then it goes on to say, then God bless them. Everybody say, bless them. God wants us to be blessed. And God said to them, that's this man and woman that are married, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. I'll stop right there. Man, those are all winning words, aren't they? This is what you were created to do. We were created to be fruitful and to multiply, and to be blessed, and to fill, and subdue. And I want to break down that those two things. Be fruitful and multiply. To be fruitful means that you produce what, what you were made to produce. It's like a lemon tree produces lemons, right? An apple tree produces apples. Image of God people produce image of God results. You're created to be creative, and to, to reproduce yourself. Yeah, that's have, ba that's have babies. But it's all, it also goes deeper than that. Because the, the root determines the fruit. So here's the thing that happened with Adam and Eve. You know the story. Adam and Eve were created. We'll get into that a little bit of that in a minute. But they, uh, they had one command to do. And they broke the, God's command, did they not? And they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's the one thing God told them they could not do. And when they did, something happened. And God told them it would. The day that you eat of that tree is the day you will surely die. Not maybe, not, not hope so maybe. No, He said you will die. Well, they didn't die on the outside, did they? But they died on the inside. And now they can only produce people that are dead on the inside. 
They can have babies and they're cute and sweet and they got human life in them and yet something skewed in everybody that's born. Now, from Adam and Eve on, every this passes on to every every person that's born, every century, every century, up to, what are we in? 2019, right? Every century. My mom and dad, my grandpa and grandma, and my generation, we all sinned and came short of the glory of God. My kids' generation, my grandkids' generation. But here's the good news. Jesus came to fix all that. He came back to restore image of God in us. And when we're born again, now we have the ability... And it's all been restored. Jesus came back and got everything back that Adam lost. And that includes the ability to do all this. To be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue and have dominion. This is the will of God for believers right now. If you really believe that, you'd get really happy right now and clap your hands. Do you believe that? Clap your hands. Hallelujah. Jesus brought all this back to us. And we access it how? By faith. By believing it. But on the inside of you, now you have the ability to produce image of God things. So God said, be fruitful and multiply. Now that word multiply, yeah, that could be have babies. But it goes even deeper than that. The word multiply comes from the Hebrew word rabbi. Which a rabbi, you may know this or maybe you don't. But in Judaism, a rabbi is a teacher. And it's one that imparts. So here's what I believe this is saying too. This is saying we're supposed to be fruitful and we're supposed to have a great marriage and then we produce these little kids. But as parents, we are called to impart and rabbi them and teach them. That begins in your house. We are to teach the world, right? As believers. And that's why we have churches. And that's why we do what we do. And yet, the heart of the church is the family that's serving God. And moms and dads teaching their own kids. That's why we produce products to help you at home. Because see, God didn't call the church to raise your kids or to train your kids spiritually. He called the church to help you. But you as parents and then as grandparents, we are called to teach our own family. We're called to step into our family. And you know, I if you looked at me when I was a kid growing up, you would have never guessed I would become a preacher. Are you kidding me? I was shy and... You know, and I was in high school, I was kind of goofy, and I was fairly popular because I knew how to be funny and I knew how to, how to get people on my side. And yet, if I ever tried to get up and make a speech or declare anything, oh man, I would freak out. In fact, it took me a long time, even after I got saved, to get over that fear of talking to people. You may find that hard to believe today. I don't know, but I used to be that way. I remember the first time I got up and preached, I was just like, oh. And I didn't know what I was doing, and nobody trained me, nobody taught me anything, and uh, yet, yet that was in me. But it had to come out of me, right? And 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 now, Trudy and I think I think I, we saw early on because Jesus made such such an impact on us. We were we were so transformed by the power of God, and so so turned on, and we experienced a miracle I talked about this morning, and and then I was delivered from alcoholism and. And and we just saw God's hand move. And God did so much for us that when we had our babies, we our first thought was, how can we get what we have learned about God into our kids? And we didn't know how, but we began a quest to, 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 to learn. And, and I think that's why I got involved in kids' ministry. Because I wanted to get that into my own kids. And then I wanted to teach them when they were teenagers. I, I didn't want to lose them to the world. God does not want us to lose our kids to the world. But we have to be bold and, and we have to get after it. And we have to be serious about what I'm talking about tonight. Because the family is the heart of the church. So God blessed this marriage, told them to be fruitful and multiply. So we see this is the purpose of marriage. We talked about purpose this morning. And this is the purpose for your marriage. To be fruitful and multiply. Girls, this is what God wants for you when you find that husband that's in your future, right? And you both want to get married someday, right? Well, don't marry a fathead. Just write that if you no, you don't have any notes. To write that down and yeah. Don't marry a fathead. You are high caliber image of God girls, and you are to get that kind of a husband in your life. That's just just for them. Okay. So the marriage uh marriage is designed for a high purpose. So why is marriage so challenging? Why do we have these? 
these deals that, that come between us to try to divide us. Well, God did it. Go to Genesis 2.18. I'm not ragging on God, but you got to understand, this is God's way. And it's in the Bible right here. Genesis 2.18. Now here's Adam, and Adam's in the garden. And God created Adam first. You know the story how he was created from the dust of the ground. You know, right there, just that term, we, we get a little hint into what Adam's going to be like. He came from the dirt. We're going to find out later that woman didn't come from the dirt. She came from the man. She came from the side of the man. But the man came from the dust of the crown, of the ground. So you're going to, there's some difference right there. Cause it's like the man, the dirt calls out to men. Men, like, they don't mind going back to the dirt. They want to go outside a little bit more than women. Not that women don't like to do this, but men, they got to go outside and they got to, you know, they got to get dirty sometimes. And they, they got to go mow the yard. They got to go play golf or they got to go hunting or, or they got to go, you know, get on something that they get out in the mud. And that's just kind of a man. The dirt calls back to us. Women aren't so much like that. That's why your wife doesn't like you bringing your dirt into her house because she didn't come from the dirt. She came from the side of the man. So we see there's going to be some difference here, right? So let's, Genesis 2.18, here's Adam in the garden. Now before Adam got his wife, there's some things that I believe God had him put into order because he wanted to bring this daughter he's about to create into a good environment. So you think about it. Adam was put into the garden of Eden, so he had a place to live. He said that uh, he was to dress it and to keep it. So he, he had a job. So he's got a place to live. He's got a job. He, he's making a living. He had some do's and some don'ts in his life. He had some disciplines. Because remember, God said, don't eat. Uh, you can eat of all the fruit of the trees. God, See, God is saying right there, I want you to be blessed. Enjoy life. Enjoy it to the fullest. How many know God wants you to have a good time in life? He created you like that. But he said, there's this one tree, Adam, that's like a discipline. That's like a picture of a lot of things. That's like a picture, first of all, of Adam, you just can't now decide to live life without me because I'm God and you're not and I'm your God. <laughs> and you're going to have to do things my way. And if you want to be blessed, you got to understand this. We have to do things God's way. It's not just your way. It's His way. And he said, there's this one tree. Well, you got to have disciplines. There's a lot of yeses you can have in life, but then you got to learn to say no to some things. Because if you don't, you're going to have trouble. And then Adam had a relationship with God. So here's the deal. Never give your precious daughter away to a guy that doesn't have a job, a place to live, some disciplines, and he's not serving God. He's not a Christian, right? That's a good four-point thing for getting a, a husband. But here in Genesis 2.18, here's Adam. He's named all the animals. It's kind of humorous when you think about it because it said, and God makes this statement, and then after this, he, he begins to bring all the animals in front of Adam to name. But let's see what he said. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. Remember, we read that this morning, the first part of it. But it goes on to say, I will make an help meet for him. I'm reading from the King James because I'm going to emphasize something here. But I'll make an help meet. So like I said, after this, so God says, I'm going, to, I'm going to make you a help meet. That's what he said. And after this, he brings all the animals before him. And I kind of wonder if Adam's going, uh, okay, that, that big animal, that's an elephant. And he's thinking, wow, is that going to be the one that's going to, I'm going to marry? And no, that doesn't do much for me. She's a little big for my taste. And there's a giraffe. I'm going to call that a giraffe. And is that the one? That, no, that's too long of a neck. That doesn't do it. So Adam, the Bible said that he saw that there was not anything comparable made unto him. See, God wanted Adam to know that there was, there was not anything out there that was going to match up to what he was about to give him. So he said, it's not good you're alone. I'm going to make you a help me, right? Doesn't say help mate. Right? Doesn't say help mate. I've heard people say that, but it doesn't say that. It says help me. Important. Important point. I'm going to break the word down for you. Help me. Here's what it means. Help is a Hebrew word, ezer. It means a helper or an aid. A helper, right? Then the next word, meet, is an interesting word. Help meet. The word meet actually means a helper opposite. Or a helper, you can say it this way, helper against. Against. There's some opposition in there. Or you can say it this way, a helper with a different opinion. 
Any lights coming on, guys? A helper with a different opinion? <laughs> or we can say it this way. Here's the long Hebrew definition for help me. Here's what it means. The strong military ally that sees the enemy. I'm going to say it again. God says, it's not good that you're alone. I'm going to give you a strong military ally that sees the enemy. Wow, strong. But Brother Ken, the Bible said that the woman is the weaker vessel. Physically, yeah, probably women are a little bit weaker than men. But not mentally, not emotionally. No, women have this strength on the inside of them. In fact, here's the thing about women. A lot of the time, if they're married and the guy checks out and it happens a lot, the woman will be the one to stay with the kids and take responsibility when there's, uh, the, when there's an absence of a man or when the husband's not doing his job. Women will rise up. Why? they got a strength. Strong military ally. Why military ally? Because you are in a war. We've talked about that. You're in a fight for this thing. Hey, marriage is not easy, folks. You're in battle. Not just each other. I'm talking about the enemy hates your marriage, right? That sees the enemy. The strong military ally that sees. Women just see stuff that men can't see. And with that statement, I'm going to ask you to welcome my wife as she comes. <laughs> Honey, you want this? Would you, would you, somebody help me bring this down for her? Praise God. This is going to get real good, girls. Thank you. And it's going to get good for the guys, too. Glory to God. You know, I, uh, uh, I was thinking about what we were talking about this afternoon, and it, and it does, and I, I want to commend you because, you know, it's like talking to the choir. You guys are here, so thank you for being here. But many times people don't realize how important marriage is, and so they think, well, I don't need to come. I don't need to hear anything else. But that's not true because it's not only one of the highest relationships God ever uh, made. It is the preeminent relationship that God made. I mean, you think about it. Before anything was created, the church or anything that was even in the heart of God, the first thing he did was he said, I got to start with a family and I'm going to start with a man and then I'm going to give him a woman. And really in, in the, in the, I love this. In Genesis 2.18, it says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. But really the word there, it's not good for man to be all alone. You know what that really means? God said, it's not good for this man to be all in one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, he needs a helper. He can't do this by himself. And men are notorious for thinking that. Men think, I can do this myself. I mean, it starts when they're three years old. I, my little grandson, you know, I try to go help him tie his shoe. No, I can do it myself. I'm thinking, yeah, you're a man. You think you can do this alone, but you can't because God said you can. It's not me. And God knew that Adam had to have someone with him with that different opinion because it was going to take a team. Remember him talking about teamwork this morning? It was going to take a team to get this done. And so he does. He he shows him all the animals. And then I think, and I just know this is how God did it. I know he did. The word doesn't say it, but if you know the heart of God, you know how he, he operates. He went to his to Adam, his son. It's his son. He loved him. It was his son, his first son. Have you ever just read in Luke when it goes down to the genealogies, it starts, and then it ends up with, and Adam was the son of God. And every time I read that, it sends chills. It just, it, it does. I'm thinking we really did come from this, these two people. And here we are today. All of us are here because of this couple. And so I believe he sat him down and he said, look, uh, I love you, and I've got something really special for you, but it's going to require a sacrifice from you. And he said, I'm going to have to put you to sleep, and then I'm going to do some surgery on you, and I'm going to take part of you out and create something wonderful. 
And I love what Hilton Sutton used to say. He said it took a wound in the side to get the bride. And when you think about Adam and Eve, it's a picture of Jesus and the church. It's a future. Everything is a, is a type and shadow. Everything about it. And he told Adam, he said, you're going to have to make a sacrifice, though. You're going to have to give up part of yourself, part of your side, in order for me to bring this gift to you. It's going to require something of you. It's going to, it, it was going to require a commitment of Adam. And see, that's why living together doesn't work. There's no sacrifice and there's no commitment. Because see, most of the time when people are living together, and I understand what they're, you know, do you know so, why so many people are living together these days? Is because they saw their parents never work on their marriage and they divorced and they don't want to go through that. And so they're, they're afraid to get married. That's a lot of what it is. See, we've developed a culture where people are afraid of marriage. But, but marriage is the most wonderful thing that God ever created. So he said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put you to sleep. And while you're asleep, I'm going to take part of your DNA out. And I'm going to make something really special this time. It's going to even look better than you. I'm going to make a a partner for you, a comparable person that will walk and talk and be equal with you. And you're going to share this dominion and you're going to rule the world. Because see, what God did was, and and you'll see this in, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, this is how you pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what God wanted was, he said, I got a kingdom up here, but I want to build one on the earth. And I'm going to start with these two people. And I want, I'm going to walk with them. I'm going to talk with them. And they're going to have dominion and they're going to rule and reign. And that was his plan. And everything we do and still is to do is all about the kingdom. You know, we talked about our purpose in marriage, even in our in, in our marriages. We were drawn together by God. A marriage has a purpose. A marriage should have a vision. You were brought together at this time in history. I'm, I want to read a scripture to you. This just just fascinates me. In Ecclesiastes 3 1, it says to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. And he made everything beautiful. This is, that's Ecclesiastes 3.1. And then jump down to Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in his time. In his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God makes from the beginning till the end. Now that, that is a mouthful of a scripture. This is what it's basically saying. In the beginning, God created, and there's a timeline we're on right now where God started this, and and then there's going to be a time when it's finished. And we're probably close to the end of one of the dispensations, which is the church age. And and so we've got this period of time that God looked down through time, and he says, okay, I'm going to have these people born during the 1800s and these people born during this period. But he said in the 2000s, I'm going to have this group right here. And you're going to get this little piece of time on that timeline. And I like to call it a little piece of kingdom time. You were put here at this time by God with a kingdom purpose to make sure that the kingdom was furthered for our time on the earth. And so every gifting, everything that you've got was given to you by God for this time and for this purpose. Your family, your children, Every, I'm, I'm telling you, this burns in me. I, I am determined that this little piece of time that I have will be full of kingdom activity. And I will use my gifts and everything I've got within me to make sure that I do what God asked me to do on this earth as a wife, as a mother, as a Christian, as a grandmother, as a mentor, as whatever giftings I was given. I want to make sure I use them and, and, uh, multiply myself while I'm here. See, that's how God looks. And when you think about it, that's all you got. You got this little piece of time. And then you got eternity. See, we were in time, and then God planted us here for a period of time. I mean, we were in eternity. Then he, he brought us to the earth and planted us here to, to do a, a kingdom job. And he said, once you get done, I'll bring you back home. We're on an assignment. 
to be on this earth right now. We're on an assignment to have strong marriages and strong families because that's how God designed it. And why? Why do we have marriage? What's the purpose of marriage? You know what? The, it's the cradle. It's the cradle for God's family. And, and one time I heard Lester Summerall say this, and I thought it was so good. He said, you know, there's people that, and I think he asked the question, God, why did you make men and women where they have to get married and just be together for the rest of their lives? Why didn't you just make them like the animals? And they could just be with anybody anytime. Because that's how animals are. They don't get married. They live kind of like what the world's living right now. It's animals. You don't get married, don't make commitments, you just... I, and I, and I'll leave it at that because that's what's happening. And there's babies being born and there's women being deserted and there's people being hurt because they won't make commitments and they won't make that nest and they won't make that cradle. And God never intended a family to be like that, ever. And so, uh, here we are. That's why he said, and this is what Lester Summerall said. The Lord told him, he said, because animals, create animals but people create someone that will live forever and your life could determine where where they end up in eternity now and and see that's the thing we've been given this wonderful assignment and and god joined us you know it really boggles my mind we were thinking you were talking about something this afternoon how people say i have no purpose in the earth what's my purpose are you kidding me? You've got a gift. You've got something about you that will never, ever grace this earth again. There will never be another person like you. And God has no accidents, and he put giftings in you and things in you that can influence a person that nobody else could influence. But we sit and we just think we're not worth anything, and that's exactly what the devil wants us. That's what he told Eve in the garden. Did God really say that? Isn't there another way? I mean, he's trying to say, God doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, yeah, he does. And he knew exactly what he was doing when he created you, however you got here. He wanted you here. And it's so important that we understand that marriage is God's idea because he wanted a safe place to raise his family. I said it this morning. We really are only stewards. We're only stewards. Even our children are God's. And we were given their, the responsibility to be a steward over them to teach them about Jesus and raise them to love Jesus just like we did. But we think we have no purpose. And yet, you know, you were talking about your mother. How she, it, 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 and, and the same thing happened in my life. There were women and men in my, my family that just did all they knew how to do was pray. That's all they knew how to do. But they prayed in their kids into the kingdom of God or they prayed for their kids to get with the right partner so that they could change a city like Grosbeck. See, we don't, we don't think about what God's doing. And I don't know what's happening in me, but I, I maybe it's because I'm, I'm a grandma now and I'm, I'm really thinking about dynasty and legacy with my family and what I want to leave when I'm gone. See, I, I owe my family to serve God and be a warrior for them and to put that in them. And so God, back to Adam and Eve, He says, okay, I'm gonna make you, I'm gonna make you a partner. So He puts Adam to sleep. And, uh, I don't know how He did it. I know He talked to Him about it because I don't think He just snuck up on Him and conked Him in the head and knocked Him out. I think He discussed it with Him. He said, this is what I'm gonna do. So He puts Him to sleep and then he takes the, in, in the, in the scripture, it says it took the rib, but at the, in the Hebrew, it actually means he took the side. He took the side out of him, which kind of means now, and this is part of what the marriage covenant is. After I take her out of him and create a, her to be his partner, he's only going to be half a man without her now. And that's when the covenant changed right there. And that's when in the scripture, his name changed. I think it's in verse 23. I can't get into all this real deep, but his name changes from Adam to Ish. And Ish means um, the man with the passion, the man with the vision. Now he's got someone that's going to light his fire. And together they're going to start building and doing something for God together. 
that they couldn't do alone. So Adam's asleep and he's taking this DNA out and he's creating this, this, this woman now. And, uh, and this is something I, you know, like I said, I can't prove it by scripture, but I know it's true because I know my father. I think he left him asleep a little while, Adam, and he creates this little beautiful girl. This is his daughter. I don't think he just went, okay, here, and shoves her over and says, here, Adam, here's a little trinket for you. Are you kidding me? I don't know one father that thinks that when they're about to give their daughter up in marriage. I loved, I loved last year when we were, or the last time we were here, what do y'all call him, Big Daddy? Jack, is that his name? Pastor. He was talking about how when his daughter was dating, he'd sit on the front porch and clean a shotgun. Oh, it was you. You did it. See, I love that. Because what he's saying is, she's mine right now. And in order for me to give her away, you're going to have to come through me and prove that you're not going to hurt this little girl. Because daddies don't want anybody hurting their little girls. And that's the way the father was about Eve. He said, you're my girl. And I love you. And I've already talked to this guy. He's got you a place to live. And I've already given him some do's and don'ts. He's got a job. So you're going to go into a safe, secure environment. And that's how marriage was supposed to be. That was the Garden of Eden kind of marriage. But see, most marriages now are outside the garden. So we don't do everything exactly like we used to. And that's why we have troubles in our marriage. But then he gives Eve to Adam. And I guess he wakes him up. And the moment he saw her, you know, we've heard it taught in all marriage seminars. I've always heard him say this. He looked at her and he went, whoa, man, you know, I've heard that so much. And that's okay. (laughs) That's all right. Because she was beautiful. In fact, Hebrew says she was just one of the most beautiful creatures ever created. But in her was all of the women in the world. So every woman in the world was the most beautiful thing God ever created. And, uh, but this is what it meant. He, he said, uh, now he's given me a woman, but this is what he really meant. Woman means the man with the womb. He said, oh, now I have someone with a womb and she can produce life for me. Cause without Eve, Adam wasn't going anywhere. History was done right there. There is no history without the wife, without the girls. There is no children. There is nothing. He's got a big old world to rule all alone with no prospect of ever doing anything else. I mean, and she was a gift to him. She was a gift. And when I began to study about the womb, uh, the man, the, the man with the womb or the womb man, there were three things that I found out about what this is talking about. The rib was made into the, the womb. But the womb's what carries the life. There would have been no Jesus. There would have been no Redeemer. Everything was in this gift. And so why, uh, you know, you, you can see why now Satan immediately, he didn't even come to the garden. There's no record of him even coming around till she came along. And then when he saw her and he knew what God was going to do, it frightened him. And he said, I got to do something. I got to, st- I got to cause division. I got to get two visions going here. I got to get them divided. Cause if they don't get divided, they're going to, they're going to take this thing over and I'm done. And that's what he wants to do your marriage too. He wants you to get going. That's what divorce is. It's going two directions, two visions. And you don't, you don't get united with your purpose. And so, uh, what, what the womb means, and I want to talk about that just for a minute here. There's three parts. You can write this down to the womb. First of all, one of the things that the womb is, or the companion or the helper is, she's an enhancer. That's part of a woman's DNA. A woman enhances everything that she touches. You think about the beauty that women bring. 
they, they, you know, even in their, their, the way they're designed, women see more colors than men do. Do you know that? Uh, they have an extra X chromosome. They're XX where a man is XY, but the X, the extra chromosome determines color. And so she sees more colors. She sees, she doesn't see red, yellow, black, and white, and orange, you know, just your basic primaries. Women see hues of colors. They see fuchsia and mauve and lavender and tangerine and coral and salmon and periwinkle and, you know, they're just, they're just totally an enhanced. They're enhanced by the way God made them. They think out of both sides of their brain at the same time, whereas a man just, for the most part, he operates out of the, the logical side of his brain, fact finder. But a woman, she operates out of both sides of the brain at the same time. So she's a great, a little bit better multitasker for the, for the most part. And not because she's superior, she's got a different purpose. See, purpose comes by design. So she doesn't need to be just like Adam. She needs to have something that will complement him, and he has things that will complement her. See, men have to be logical because men are the ones that have usually have the driving part of the vision, and they're the ones that can keep things focused and not get emotional. They'll stay, you know, they'll they'll stay more on the course. Most of the time, a man not. I mean, they they, they can be emotional, but you know, you think about it. When you're going through a crisis, most of the time a man, uh, when you hear troubles coming, they go into what I call fixer mode. Whereas a woman sometimes will weep or cry about it. A man will want to cry, but he'll go, you know what? I can't do that. I, 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 I've got to, I got to start fixing this. I've got to logically start having a plan to get us out of this mess. See, that's the way you work, you, you work together. And so women, they just have this enhancer thing about them. They enhance everything they touch. And then, number two, part of what the rib is, they're incubators. They incubate everything. You think about it. They, they take, uh, a man gives a woman a sperm, she incubates it, and she makes a baby out of it. You give her a home, a house, she'll incubate it, and she'll turn it into a home. You big, you bring a big old bunch of groceries in the house, she'll incubate it, and she'll cook you a meal. I mean, she, everything she touches, it grows and matures. There's just, she's just got this ability to make everything better than it was. She brings life to everything. Actually, the word, um, uh, mother is in Hebrew means Emma, and, but it means life giver or water. It's like everything you put water on, revives and gets nourished and it feels you know if you got a dry plant it can be all droopy and you can put a little water on it and it it'll come back to life women have this ability to encourage and love and nurture and connect because that's what god made them to do and the reason they have to think out of both sides of the brain is they're usually the ones with at home with the five kids that are having to know what where they are at every moment. And they're cooking spaghetti and putting on mascara and talking on the phone. And they know where all the kids are all the time because they are brilliant. Women are brilliant because they were a gift to you. And then the third thing they are is um, they're adapters. Women adapt. Now, this can be good and bad. God gives woman the ability to adapt to her husband. But it's like, have you ever seen those science projects where you have a little plant and you put the red water in the, in, you put the little plant in red water and the next thing you know, you can look at the leaves a few days later and you'll see little red veins running through the leaves because it soaked up that water and it became a part of it. It adapted, it, it drew that water into itself. See, men, your wife has got to be, the number one thing a woman needs from you is love. They have got to be loved and they've got to be listened to. And they, but, and they will adapt whatever you give them. They'll, they'll try to help you and adapt to it and help you get it done. But this is the negative side. If they're mistreated and they're not done, treated right they'll adapt to that too that's why women will stay with men that hurt them beat them and treat them wrong 
They adapt because it's part of their who they are because they love you so and they want to please you and they want to help you. And that helper thing is going night and day, night and day. It's, it's so much like the role of the Holy Spirit. They're your comforter. They're your counselor. They're your helper. They're your intercessor. They're your strengthener. They're your standby. And when you treat them right, you have no better ally on this planet than that woman that's sitting beside you. Because she's the greatest gift God ever gave you. And we have to learn why marriage is so important. Because when you learn to flow together, it creates this powerful team that Satan cannot defeat. He just can't defeat you. And that's why those of you that know you have a good marriage, you've learned that. You've learned that your wife is precious. You've learned that your husband is precious. And I'll say this about the men. Women have got to be loved or they can't operate. Men have got to be respected or they can't operate. So when you're flowing together and you let your your man know, I know we're in tough times right now, but I believe in you and we're going to get through this. And that boy, that's the power of a woman. In fact, they will prophesy back to you. If you ever told them, God told me we're going to do this, they'll start incubating that thing. And they'll, I mean, they'll plan on it and they'll look at it and they'll pray over it. And if you dare say, oh, I don't know, here they'll come. And they'll start going, I'm, they'll prophesy back to you. You told me that this is what God told us to do and we're going to do this. And they'll get back in your face with it. And that's good because they're that helper. No, you're not going to give up. We're going to do this. And we're going to do it together. And it's going to be powerful. And that's what your wife is. This is what marriage is all about. It's all about learning the different roles of the marriage. How you operate together. Not how you, not the diff, that's why you fuss and fight sometimes. Cause she's got a different opinion. Cause she sees it different. See, you see it one way and she'll say, you know, and we do this constantly. You know, he says we're always disagreeing. I, I, I've watched it every day. He'll want to go one way to the grocery store and I'll think, no, I want to go, I want to go this way to the grocery store. It's just the difference in a man and a woman's mind. But it's what makes synergy and it's what makes life exciting. I mean, you don't want to just sit and be a clone and just that, you know, you just say the same things to each other and no, there's no opinion. There's no, I, it would be very dull. And needless to say, we don't have a dull marriage. No. But I'm just telling you the things that sometimes you may think are wrong with your marriage are things that are really right. You just need to work on them and understand them and flow with them. You know. And I could tell you funny stories all night about the way men and women think. Because uh, it's very unique what God did. But he did it because he wanted it that way. And he wants you to learn how to flow together in your marriage and respect each other's roles. Because the man was always designed, you think about even a man's anatomy, he was designed to be the giver, and the woman was designed to be the receiver. And that's how marriage works. You bring her the vision, you plant the seed in her heart and soul and mind, and she'll take hold of that, and she'll pray for you, and she'll go, if she believes in you, and you do her right, she will go the ends of the earth with you. She'll jump off cliffs for you. If she trusts and loves you and respects you, she'll stay with you. She might, she might prophesy to you a time or two about it, but she will stay with you forever because God put that in her. That's what she was designed for because without her, you are not going to make it. And you ought to glorify God right now for your precious wife. Isn't that good. That was great, babe. So let me, let, me, let me give you a Texas illustration. We'll close, okay? Here's the way this is designed to work. It's just like a stagecoach. Just like a stagecoach. You know about stagecoaches, right? You're in Texas. I learned about stagecoaches when we were doing some of the Westerns back in the 80s and 90s. And we did the Gospel Bill show that I talked about this morning was a, a studio show where we, we shot all that on, in sets inside a studio. But then we did a few uh, feature-length Movies, actually. We did three of them. And we did them. Kenneth Copeland was in them. 
And uh, when we did that, we ratcheted everything up a notch. We went on location. And we had different places in Oklahoma we would shoot. But we had a guy come down one time, uh, and he brought a stagecoach. He was from Houston. And, uh, in fact, what was his name, honey? Tom, but you know this, but you know this pastor. Lanza. Do you know Tom Lanza? Nope. Okay. Anyway, name was Tom Lanza. He's gone home to be with the Lord now. But Tom had his own, he was a cowboy, had a, had a stagecoach. So he came down with a stagecoach and he had a four horse team on the stagecoach. So I, I'm, I'm riding around the stagecoach with him and, and I learned to drive a stagecoach was not, you don't see this in the movies. But it's, if you're driving, man, you are, you gotta be focused because you have reins for each one of those horses. And he would put these reins between his fingers and he would n- manipulate those horses with those reins and, you know, pull back this one a little bit, give more lead to this one. And, you, you know, so I learned if you're driving a stagecoach, man, you gotta be focused. And think about the old West. Uh, you know, the stagecoach was the, the mode of transportation from coast to coast before the train. They had stagecoaches. The stagecoach driver, you know, you had the driver, but you, you got roads that aren't very good. They're dirt roads. You're going through rough territory and there's dangers, right? You got bandits. You got, you got Indian attacks. You've seen westerns, right? Everybody's seen westerns. And, uh, so to be a stagecoach driver, you got to stay focused because you're carrying valuable cargo. You got money. You got the mail. You got passengers. So you got to be focused. So you need the, the driver to stay focused on the road. But in order to get there, the driver needed a helper. And anybody know what the helper was called? Shotgun, right? Shotgun. We still use that term today. We used to, I remember when I was in high school, you know, we're a bunch of guys hanging out. We're going to go somewhere, somebody's car and somebody yells shotgun. That means you get to sit up front in the front seat by the door. And you don't have to sit in the back or you don't have to sit in the middle. You know, it's funny. I remember going to high school and, and this, this is high school guys. We would, uh, we'd get six or eight guys together and I had a 63 Ford Galaxy 500. Big old car, 63. Anybody remember the cars of the 60s? My, you could have lived in the back seat of my car. It was huge. And the funny thing about that, when I got that car, I was four door car. My dad bought it for me. God bless him. But it wasn't a real cool car, but it was a nice car. But it was just big. And the thing about me having a big car, I was a little bitty guy. I got that car at 14 and I was about this tall. And in order to drive it, I had to, I couldn't see over the steering wheel. I had to look between the steering wheel and the, and the dashboard. So if you saw my car driving around town, you'd think there's nobody driving that car because I was so little. Anyway, but you know, we're going to town. There's six or eight boys. And we'd say, hey, let's go find some women. You know, we're teenagers looking for women. We wouldn't have known what to do with a woman if we found one. Well, let's go find some women. And so, all right, let's go. Shotgun. Somebody yells shotgun. And the funny thing about that is we're, we got six or eight guys stacked in my car. If we found a woman, we didn't have a place to put her. We didn't think very good. But uh, shotgun. So shotgun meant that's your helper riding up front with you, right? right beside you, but your helper's got a shotgun and has a different perspective, can see things, can look behind, can point out danger to you, sees things that the driver can't see. That's marriage. You got a driver and you got a shotgun. And this is the way God designed it to work. You have a high purpose. You have a high calling. And if you're not married or you've been divorced, let me just say this. Now you and Jesus together are one. And you can fulfill your assignment alone. Not everybody's going to be married. A lot of people will. In fact, I read one time that about 90% of people born in the earth will be married sometime in their life. So most people will get married, but then some won't. And if you don't, the Bible talks about having a gift not to be married. How do I know if I have that gift, Brother Kim? Well, if you're a guy and you like girls or vice versa you probably don't have the gift because so, you would know it if you have the gift all right but most people will be married but if you're not then you and god become one if you've been divorced the scripture talks about it and i don't have the reference here tonight but it talks about how that the lord now becomes your husband he becomes your partner 
He will help a wife forsaken or a husband. And that's the way it works. But this is a foundation that God has designed to build the world on. Let's pray. Father, we thank You tonight for this Word. Thank You for this church. For all these marriages tonight, we pray for them. And we thank You. Stacy, could you come play? Would you mind giving us a little music? We'll just praise the Lord here for a minute. Lord, we pray for all these marriages tonight. People that have come here, we pray for the marriages of the church. We know how important this is. And so we take authority over the enemy that comes to divide and steal. Tries to kill us. Tries to destroy us. Lord, we tonight pray and we uh, uh, intercede for the marriages of this church. And Lord, while I'm doing that and while we're all together here in Your presence, we also lift up our president tonight, Donald Trump. This was designed tonight. In fact, people are praying even right now uh, as a special time for us to pray for our president, for what's going on in our country. And Lord, we do right now. We thank You for the leadership. You told us in Your Word that we are to pray for those in authority. That we may lead a, a quiet and peaceable life. We declare and we believe that You're working. You are working, Lord, behind the scenes in our government. And we pray that You strengthen our president. Whether we agree with everything He does or not, we pray for Him. We pray that You strengthen Him. And we declare You bless Him. We declare Your ways are coming into this earth like never before. That You are manipulating. That You are positioning Yourself. You're positioning America for the righteous sake, Lord. We pray for America for the righteous sake. And Lord, we stand up and we declare over our country that our nation is blessed. And that Your will be done in America, on the earth, in the United States of America, as it is in heaven. Lord, Your will be done. Your will be done in the name of Jesus. We pray right now. Hallelujah. And Lord, tonight we just thank You and we give You glory. We lift our hands up. We bless You, Lord. We thank You. We thank You. Thank You, Lord. 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 Hallelujah.